0: All right, the first case we'll hear this morning is United States versus Howell, and Mr. Sheldon will hear from you.
1: May it please the court. I'm John Sheldon for Mr. Howell. Um, I'd like to reserve five minutes for rebuttal, please. Um, We're asking this court to reverse the district court's decision, denying Mr. Howell's motion to suppress. Um, Let me just start by talking about Detective Beha. Detective Beha had an informant, and the informant... And told him that there was a named target, a specific target who was going to go to the Aloft Hotel and meet with other drug dealers to distribute those particular drugs. Detective Biha went to the hotel and the informant's tip was wrong. He couldn't find the target. And this target again was a named target. And because he couldn't find the named target, the informant's tip wasn't reliable. And there was no reason why any of the other information should be relevant to anybody else. That is, the target was supposed to be dealing his drugs to other drug dealers, but he's not there, so there's no other people to deal his drugs to.
2: Wait, why? I guess I, I, I certainly agree that the fact that the informant had the name wrong is a problem and not ideal. I don't, I guess I don't know why that means that the, nothing the informant says is reliable at all. Why, why is that?
1: So first, the informant was wrong about the most important thing. And I, no, let me I just That's say... No, I That's
2: not a small thing. But why right. does it make everything? Easier? And
1: it wasn't the name wrong. Nobody argued. Detective Beha testified three times that he was looking for a specific person. There wasn't a confusion of the name. I just want... I don't want to leave here saying, well, maybe he got the name wrong. He didn't get the name wrong. The the informant specifically, Detective Beha said three times had a particular target in mind... And in argument, the government said it wasn't how. There's no
0: doubt uh, about that. I think you make a very good point about uh, the informant. The coincidence is uncanny in terms of the vehicle, the license plates, the passenger, uh, and the meeting at the location at the particular motel. Uh, I was trying to figure out how the informant got the driver wrong. And my Thinking is maybe we don't know the facts, but maybe he didn't get it wrong. Maybe he did drive up at two in the morning. Maybe they did have their meeting at the hotel, and maybe Howell then drove him to the airport uh, and let him go back to Atlanta, and uh, 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 and ha- kept the car. And uh, he's returning now. He goes back to his room, picks up a bag. That's a hypothetical, totally speculative. But my point is, it doesn't isn't categorically wrong. What is right is there is something there. and But even if you set that aside, you have this fellow Howell that all of a sudden appears as a result of that thought about meeting. There was something took place because that bag was in the room and there was drugs in the bag later. We knew that. So uh, the, uh, the question is there, prob- there probably was something going on in that room earlier uh, that in Howell's room. They were put on to Howell. From your point of view, they were put on to Howell by coincidence. Yes, that's right. It wasn't uncanny. So though. now the question is they're now facing Howell. Yes. And the question now is what do they know about Howell and the entire circumstance? That's right. And, and I would that's, say. that's really what I think uh, your best case is to try to narrow it to that, exclude yep. the warrant business because that's of the right. sequencing, and uh, focus on what they knew about Howell at that point and at that location at that time. And,
1: uh, uh, there's... That's right, Judge. And there are two things that I'd say about that. The first is, I wouldn't say... He knew quite a bit
0: about Howell, too.
1: He, he knew a lot about Howell. Yep. And what he knew about Howell, I would say, dispelled reasonable suspicion. The main thing he knew about Howell is he investigated him three to four years ago. And the investigation led to nothing. I always look
3: at this... No, no, and,
0: <laughs> that's not fair. They knew he was a distributor. They did not bring charges against them. They didn't have enough against him. He had also been convicted before, right?
1: Judge, I would say that's not fair. Let me retort. Did they know that? That is not fair. Ten years prior, he had one conviction for possession.
0: Yeah. And then they investigate him, and he's been told he's the main distributor in the investigation. They knew him as a drug dealer.
1: Your Honor, when, when there is a fact... That equally could apply to you or I. I would say that dispels reasonable suspicion. If I am investigated and no charges or arrests, it is extremely unfair and unreasonable, I would say, under the exclusionary rule to say that counters on the side of reasonable suspicion because I was investigated. Virtually
0: every case we get, and we get hundreds of them, we have these big conspiracies, and a lot of them are in eastern Virginia. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about huge ones. A lot of drug distribution. There are always people that they can't grab who haven't been pulled in yet who are told were part of things, uh delivery people, people who receive things, people who are it's they don't pick up everybody. They pick up who they think they can they have enough evidence against. They did not have enough evidence apparently against how, but they knew of how. It's like they know the people on the street, They, a uh, uh, guy's carrying a gun. They know pretty much this guy always carries a gun. They can't arrest him until they have, have better evidence. But uh, I don't think it's fair to say, and there's nothing to suggest the officer's impression about how it was wrong. They knew of him as a drug dealer, and they knew of the loft as a place where drug dealing took place. And uh, it seems to me... Uh, that starts getting uh, the officers pretty far along the
1: road, doesn't it? I don't think so, Your Honor. And I think it's it's extremely unfair to have an investigation that was over three years old, probably four. Of course, the detective's testimony is vague on a number of points, I think intentionally. That doesn't lead to anything. How unfair to the ordinary citizen to be investigated, never arrested, never charged, and then that weighs against him uh, for reasonable suspicion. Uh, there is no information he's had except for a 10 year old possession conviction and this investigation, which ended in nothing. And now, forever, Mr. Howell is, is followed around by close to reasonable suspicion because an investigation led to nothing. Um, I would say these facts are not uncanny. Your Honor, when driving down here and thinking about these facts, I thought these facts apply to me when I visit my sister in Boston. Almost all these facts.
0: You're a lawyer, and you go to the Loft Hotel. Uh, Yes, I do. And there's no suspicion that you. There was a proposed meeting through a reliable informant at that hotel. And that proposed meeting of several drug dealers was told about. We don't know whether that occurred, but Howell is at that motel at that time, and they know Howell's a drug dealer. Now, you can discount the informant, but they've been using him for, what, five years?
1: Well, Your Honor, to say Mr. Howell's a drug dealer when his conviction is 10 years old and a -a three-and-a-half-year investigation leads to nothing, I think it's very unfair to say Mr. Howell's a drug dealer. Well, it's it's incredibly bad luck, isn't it, that a person who's known to the police to have had some drug problems in the past, shows up and meets every single, checks every single box that the informant said except the name. Your Honor, I think you're making the same mistake the district court did. It is overwhelmingly clear that it was a coincidence. It is overwhelmingly clear that the informant, when describing the target, had a specific person in mind, and 100% of the evidence says, this was a named person. They didn't name him for obvious reasons at the evidentiary hearing. It's a named person. The Detective Biha never suggested that it may have been Howell that was being described. The government never suggested. The government literally said during argument, JA 140 to 141, the government said it was not Howell. It was a coincidence. And what I was trying to say to uh, Judge Niemeyer is, is when I go to Boston, I stay at a hotel. I rent a car. It's out of state plates. Sometimes it's black. How uncanny is it? Not very. And when facts in a case, all the the facts, the rental car, the being with a woman, those apply to almost everybody at a hotel, the one-night or two-night stay. What is extremely... What about,
0: what about the meeting of drug dealers that was going to take place at that hotel?
1: Not confirmed. This court has said that for a typically informant, reliable...
0: informant-related...
1: That's right, and this court has said and so. For we
0: we have to assume that there was somebody else uh, other than the identified in, uh, person in the vehicle that was going to be at that meeting because it was uh, uh, it used it in the plural a meeting of drug dealers.
1: That's right. This court has said for a tip to be relied on, it has to be reliable. It has to be confirmed in some in some way. The extent that Detective B. had tried to confirm the tip, it was not confirmed. That is, the target wasn't there. Of course, it's possible that the target was there and left. However, to the extent he tried to confirm it, he couldn't confirm it, but he found Howell's name. It is a catch-22 to say he found a drug dealer. In fact, of everything we know about Mr. Howell weighs against regional suspicion, including this very important fact that Mr. Howell wrote his own name in the guest book. He signed in under his own name. Remember, the informant said, or the detective Biha testified, that he was very aware that uh, drug dealers don't use their own name when they rent cars or they um, log in at a hotel. And and Howell did. The the few facts that match... Does one,
0: the uh, record show who rented the car?
1: No, there's nothing about who rented the car, right? And what I say in my brief is, look, when you drive a car... I'm often driving uh, my wife's car or somebody else's car. The license plate, running the registration doesn't tell you who's driving the car. Same well, I understand, Same with the rent. Not,
0: but the rental agreement would show who signed off on it.
1: That's right, and there's no evidence about that, and I, I'll i save the remainder of my time for yeah. about it.
0: Okay. A thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Sheldon. Uh, Ms. Cheney? Ms. Cheney, excuse
3: me. Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the court. My name is Assistant United States Attorney Amanda Cheney this court should affirm the denial of the defendant's motion to suppress for two primary reasons. The first is that the totality of cir- circumstances surrounding this traffic stop do establish reasonable suspicion of narcotics trafficking. The other is the existence of the outstanding warrant for the defendant's arrest, which independently provides sufficient uh, basis for the traffic stop. Because this is a case where the totality... Can
2: around? Do you agree that we could uphold the search without reaching the arrest warrant issue? Yes, Your Honor. Because I, I guess I will, I will confess some trepidation about the arrest warrant issue. So you think that we could just ignore the arrest warrant entirely and uphold without relying on that?
3: I think it's an independently sufficient basis. So I then think you think that both there's of them reasonable... are
2: independently sufficient basis? Yes, the warrant is sufficient and the non-warrant stuff is
3: sufficient? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Um, because this is a case where it's total... The, well, the of... sequencing, I, I think uh,
2: uh, Judge
3: Heighton's
0: uh, question points to a slippery slope because it seems to me the sequencing of the information about the warrant uh, gets you into trouble as you go along. I mean, if this traffic stop was not justified by a traffic violation, the traffic stop was justified by suspicion of, uh, of uh, drug trafficking. And so as soon as the police officer and the detectives learned that this was non-extraditable Uh, it seems to me they should have let him go Uh, if you rely just on the warrant. In other words, all of a sudden they check the warrant out, and uh, before even before the uh, uh, dog sniff, uh, they learn that it's non-extraditable. At that point, they say, we're sorry, the warrant we stopped you on uh, is non-extraditable, and you're free to go on your way. Isn't that what would have to happen?
3: Your Honor, the warrant itself is sufficient basis for the traffic stop.
0: It is, but then they learn shortly after the traffic stop and before any other evidence uh, of drug uh, 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 sniffing or anything else, they learn that the warrant is not a justification,
3: right? No, Your Honor. I would point, Your Honor, to uh, the joint appendix on page... No, just to answer my question, <coughs> So not
0: they learn that it was non-extraditable?
3: No, Your Honor. After uh, after the dog alerted to the vehicle, they learned that the was not That was a confirmation,
0: wasn't it? Didn't they first learn?
3: They first knew, Your Honor, that there was an outstanding warrant. They did not um, investigate further until the stop occurred because at that point there was either contact so you're, or you're station. suggesting
0: the record says that they did not learn that the warrant was non-extraditable until after the dog alerted? Correct, Your Honor.
3: And that is at Joint Appendix, uh, page 114. I, I
0: had thought that they learned right before.
3: No, Your Honor. In the morning, so the— Didn't they run it on
0: a—didn't the police officer run it on
3: his own dispatch system? The officer that stopped Mr. Howell did run it on his dispatch system and what did after he, learn? he was stopped. He learned that it wasn't extraditable. The detectives in the morning that arrived in the morning around 7 o'clock, they were the ones who initially found the arrest warrant I understand, so.
0: but I, I stick with my sequence. The police officer stops it, he runs the warrant through his system, right? And he learns it's non-extraditable, right?
3: Only after the stop,
0: Your Honor. Right, after the stop, he learns it's non-extraditable. Is that
3: before after the dog shows up? After. At approximately 1221 to 1222, dispatcher responds to Officer Bird that the warrant check, uh, resulted in it, the warrant not being extraditable. The uh, 9 alerts at 1216 to 1217 p.m. That's at joint appendix. So he learned no
0: information before that?
3: That officer, no. The detective knew that there was an outstanding warrant and that was at approximately 10 o'clock. That was an <laughs> NCIC check. Well, I understand that. I understand the fact that there was a policy not until you well, get in the
2: can contact. Can I ask you about that policy? Where in the record is that policy that says you can't confirm an NCIC check?
3: The record, uh, I don't have I wasn't these. able to
2: find anywhere in the record where it actually, where there's policy, supposedly.
3: It, um, I don't have the joint appendix page. It was attached. Yeah, um, right. It was an exhibit at the motion to suppress hearing. here. Okay. Um, the policy itself. Also, the screenshot of the active arrest warrant from Detective Beha, that's at uh, joint appendix page 45. It's probably somewhere near. I just don't have the exact citation. Sure.
2: Can you take you back to the, the reasonable suspicion issue, which we could... Just decide this case based on, well, what, what do you say to your friend on the other side's response? I mean, you talked about the name being wrong, but what about the fact that the informant said the car would be from a northern state? And last I checked, Georgia is not a northern state.
3: That's correct, Your Honor. And I want to get to first the name itself because we're talking here about the tip and the reliability of the tip. When uh, my colleague says that uh, because the name given was not the name of the defendant, Um, therefore the analysis should stop and this tip is not reliable. It's not um, completely fair. It doesn't look at all of the information that we have here. First, um, the government's not conceding that the informant necessarily got the target's identity wrong, Uh, perhaps the name but not the identity. There's nothing in the record that shows that this target, because he wasn't in the hotel's registry, was not at that hotel that day. And there's nothing um, your honor to, uh, show that the, uh, just because the name wasn't in the registry, that the target wasn't using some sort of pseudonym, or that he didn't check into the hotel under another name, or that the name that the target had, or excuse me, that the informant had for the target was, uh, a not, uh, was a name, a, a name that Xavier Howe also went by, it was an alias for Xavier Howe. So to say that, um, because the name itself uh is not on the registry it means that the person wasn't there and the whole tip is reliable, is is not a, a sound um basis uh that this court should rely upon. Um we're, when we get to um the other factors of the tip, specifically as the court pointed out, the timing and the specificity of this tip. This particular morning, the people involved in this drug deal were supposed to have uh, supposed to be leaving the hotel. This particular hotel in Chesapeake. we don't know.
0: The meeting uh, could have well have taken at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, There's no suggestion that the meeting didn't occur.
3: Correct. The informant mentions that the uh, people involved would be uh, spending the night at the hotel, and that's why the um, investigators get there the next morning, early the next morning, that they would be leaving that particular morning. Um, this particular hotel, which uh, Detective Beha uh, testified about making numerous drug <laughs> arrests and drug seizures from, he spoke to drug traffickers who stated that this was a preferred location, this was a preferred hotel in the area for this sort of narcotics trafficking activity. And then when we checked, uh, the detectives checked the hotel registry, Mr. Howe's name is found, along with... uh another um, individual who had involvement in drug distribution, the detectives say, and whose name they recognize. But we, we can't then ignore what happens after what, what the investigators know about Mr. Howe. It's the tip um, combined with their knowledge of Mr. Howe's history, which the court um, uh, is well aware of. There's a 2008 conviction, not for simply possession, but for possession with intent to distribute a controlled substance. After that, Prior conviction, he's listed as a director in the business with, uh, uh, whereby, um, controlled substances are being purchased. That's about 2014, 2015. After that, a year or two after, CIs are naming, name him as a, uh, someone involved in drug trafficking. Um, and one specifically says they've seen him with, uh, in possession of drugs. And then, current day, back, um, when this, uh, stop occurred, he's, got an outstanding arrest warrant. This is the information that the det- uh, detectives had um, on that morning when they're encountering Mr. Howe. Not simply a tip, not simply a name, and that's it. This tip with the information, the timing and specificity of that tip, as well as their knowledge of Mr. Howe's history, let alone the fact which the court has already pointed to, their uncanny similarities to the tip and Mr. Howe, how he appears that day, the color and the type of vehicle, the dark-colored SUV, it being a rental car, Short stay. Not only that the short stay was um, one night, it, it was the night that uh, about which the informant gave the information about narcotics trafficking. Um, he's accompanied by an unknown African-American female that matched this tip. The officers didn't know. I, um, My colleague mentioned in his brief that, you know, the officers knew he had a sister. They didn't know the identity of this woman at the time that uh, this stop occurred. And, uh, add to that the cautious driving after the fact. Now, innocent factors, the court well knows, can create, um, can come together to create reasonable suspicion. That's in Neverett. Um, it's not that any of these factors alone, um, are suspicious, and, and that's outside of the tip, of course, but are suspicious in and of themselves. It's that, um, they're all taking place on this, on the night in question, the night about which there is this tip from a reliable informant that there will be a meeting of drug traffickers, and then that combined with <coughs> Mr. Howe's history of involvement, when um, counsel gives a description of, you know, this describes a number of innocent people, we look to um, the court's thinking in um, Proust, and we start with a, uh, basically a, a number of innocent actors, right? The number of people at the hotel um, this particular day. That's a big pool of people. Um, and And, and that could implicate everyone um, as to this tip. However, every other piece of information from this tip shrinks the pool, um, shrinks the pool, and it becomes more, more narrow. People driving rental cars, people driving rental cars with out of state tags, people driving a rental car that's dark in color, people with a female companion who's leaving that morning. Um, and then by the time we get to the cautious driving, we have narrowed the pool so much. We have shrunk shrunk the pool so much. that I see the
2: question about the cautious driving, and I tried to figure this out in the record. Is your understanding that the officers who were tailing him, who observed this cautious driving, were they in a marked or an unmarked car?
3: Unmarked, Your Honor.
2: Is the re- you imagine maybe the reason I'd say that is, like, I think a fact that we can observe about the world is that when people observe marked police cars, they often start driving very cautiously.
3: Absolutely. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Um, but your
2: idea is here. This person wouldn't necessarily have known they were being observed by the police at the
3: time. Correct. And at this point, um, we are so um, we have so much reasonable suspicion that this is the latest um, addition to that. If we were to take um, basically by the time we reach the cautious driving, there's so much other um, uh, indicators, there's so many other factors pointing to towards this vehicle and the people in it being involved in narcotics trafficking um and that these uh this specific this specific vehicle itself and the person in it Mr. Howe is the um, one to investigate um so such that the fact that there are other innocent actors or other innocent travelers um is not as significant here as the fact that all this reasonable suspicion has now been piled on
1: um let me the, just say that you got you got a lot of a lot of uh of, of suspicious activity here but once you reach the point where you're driving, if you speed, you're going to get stopped. And if you're cautiously driving, you're going to get stopped. I'm not
0: big on the cautious driving being a factor, but, the, but you've got a lot of other stuff to work
3: with. Understood, Your Honor.
0: Um, can I ask you, uh, did the detectives learn about the warrant before the police officer did? That no. was non-extraditable? No. The who learned first? The police officer bird? Yes, sir. So he did his check. When he made the stop. Yes. Sir. 10 minutes later, he got response. It's non-extraditable. After he sent his response, I think, at, uh, uh, yes. 1211 exactly. to 1221. Yes, Your Honor. The detectives, when did they learn?
3: Um, I believe the detectives were in communication with Officer Bird.
0: So Bird advised them? Yes, Your Honor. And the, uh, and the dog alerted, uh, uh, five minutes before he heard back? Yes, Your Honor. So your argument is that when the dog alerted, they had probable cause at that point?
3: Yes, Your And that that stop wasn't unnecessarily prolonged. It was five minutes. Um, they were being stopped for um, either you could say the reasonable suspicion that led to the traffic stop, or you could say the fact of the warrant itself to investigate that. And that's um, a temporary stop um, to perform an investigative function. There was no, um, unduly, there was no, um, I guess no undue stop. They, uh, they did exactly what we, one would expect them to do. They, they stopped the vehicle. They checked the information. It didn't take long to come back. By that time, the dog had alerted. If, as the, sense as our brief what, says.
2: Sorry, do you have a sense of what percentage of out of state warrants are non-extraordinary? I, 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 that's a genuine question. I don't know the answer. To
3: that. I don't either, Your Honor. Um, I think, uh, Because of just Detective uh, Beha's testimony during the motion to suppress, that it is uh, frequent enough that it's not extraditable that they have to check every time. um, Such that you know that's what the warrant
2: is extraditable.
3: Correct. He he mentioned that um, he had seen it go both ways. You stop somebody, the warrant says it's extraditable, and it's not when they actually call and confirm. And then, um the, the opposite way, Your Honor, that, it, that it turns you, out that Would you it was, agree
2: that in general it seems likely though that the more minor the offense, the more likely it is to be non-extraditable? Like, I imagine a homicide warrant is almost always going to be extraditable. I suspect a failure to appear warrant is on balance less likely to be extraditable? I,
3: I can't say. I guess it would depend on what the underlying, um offense would be for which the person was- Well, that's what I'm saying. If it, the underlying
2: offense is trivial on balance, it's more likely to be- Non-extraditable?
3: I think so, Your Honor, but I don't think the officers in this case had access to that information.
2: And and I guess to make, to make express something that I think is implicit, if the officer knew a warrant was extraditable, non-extraditable, sorry, if a police officer knew that a given warrant was non-extraditable, is it implicit in what we're saying that that would not supply probable cause to stop somebody if you knew there was a warrant and you knew the warrant was non-extraditable?
3: So, of course those aren't the facts here. No, um I think that the policy in this case exists and it's a national policy because um, it's just a record check um, and the the, the, tech, the a hypothetical little bit
0: is when the officer stops the vehicle and he knows the warrant can't be extraditable is not extraditable. It's but no can he use can he use the warrant to stop the vehicle?
3: I don't think so, but the, the reason that the policy exists is because that what's written in NCIC is not always accurate or up to date. Oh,
0: I understand. In other words, uh, the warrant could be for murder or the warrant could be for not fail, for failing to appear uh, at a deposition. I mean, it, uh, we're talking about a big range of things. But my point is, uh, it's really just a follow-up on Judge Heighton's question. I would assume you have to concede that if the officer knew the warrant was non-extraditable, that would not form a basis for stopping the vehicle.
3: I still think a brief investigatory stop is possible in those circumstances to what? to verify the information from NCIC, let's say. If we're in a world where wow. we know. And he knows.
0: He's already checked before. Uh, with the hypothetical is the officer knows. He's done the check. The warrant is no good. And not, it's not. It's good, but it's it's
3: non-extraditable. And that and limited, stops. uh, that limited set of facts, I think that's correct. You cannot stop.
2: And can I go back? There's no dispute that in this case, the officer knew this was a failure to appear warrant, right? That wasn't the original, that before anything was confirmed, the initial hit told this officer this was a failure to appear warrant. They knew it wasn't a
3: homicide warrant. They knew it was a failure to appear warrant. They knew that this defendant was based in Georgia and that this occurred in Virginia. What occurred in Virginia? The stop itself. The stop itself
2: so coming
3: into contact with Mr. Howell was in a different state, and then they see a failure to okay. appear. Okay. Well, just
2: one follow-up on that. They knew the failure to appear warrant was for a Georgia offense.
3: They knew that. Yes, I believe that's in the screenshot. The okay. the actual um where it comes from.
0: Would it make a difference if the failure to appear was the failure to appear for a felony trial? As opposed to the failure to appear for a traffic violation.
3: I I don't think so. If we're in the world that um, Your Honor's created, where we know it's extraditable from the second we check someone's record, um, if it's extraditable, um, then it doesn't matter that it's for. Fails so to appear to traffic here? Well, I don't know this, uh, the
0: answer to this, but I'm, I'm wondering if he fails to appear for a felony trial in Georgia and they issue a warrant for his arrest or, uh, or a, uh, make it even more serious. He's, he's being convicted. He's being tried for, uh, murder and, uh, he's on bail and he flies a coup and they issue a warrant. Uh, would that be extraditable? That warrant?
3: I think so your honor but again I think this case points to whether so or not ar- the well, stop itself this case. I'm just
0: trying to get some ground rules here. That's so right. when they see its failure to appear a failure to appear warrant could be extraditable or
2: could be non-extraditable. Correct. That's your point. Yes, your honor. All right. Um one last question about the policy. So as I understand it uh, in the record we have the detective's testimony that he was prohibited from confirming the warrant status. Is there as the actual policy in the record anyone?
3: Yes. Um and yeah. I believe, uh, Your Honor asked me that earlier. Right.
2: I I've, have... I've, I've asked my staff to look and they <laughs> <wouldn't find it.
3: laughs> um, I apologize, Your Honor. The, as I said, the policy was attached as an exhibit at the motion to su- uh, suppress hearing. Um, the only site I have, I don't, um, I know There's that IT a include right page.
1: Forty-seven, Your Honor.
3: Forty-seven. Yes, this is Chesapeake's policy. It
2: is it the actual policy or is it the testimony from the officer?
3: Uh, it's the actual okay. policy okay, forty-six. You. And the the NCIC policy that's referenced, I, I don't see it um, attached here. Understood. Um. With that, um, your honor, uh, your honors, um, I think that when we point to the tip in this case, and, and your honors, and your honors mentioned it, um, already, but, um, it's not a coincidence, it's, it's an uncanny coincidence, um, it's too uncanny it to be a coincidence. It's got a
0: couple of, um, uh, material, material, uh, <laughs> flaws in it, and the question is whether it is an accurate tip Based on what he learned, and something in the intervening changed the facts, like somebody else was driving changed, or it's just a misinformation. It's a wrong. Uh, it, it's a wrong incident altogether. Uh, it's hard to tell because uh, uh, number one, we we don't have the name of the person, uh, and number two, uh, there was also suggestion that the vehicle was coming from the north. And uh, uh, and uh, uh, but uh, I, there, it seems to me that there hypotheticals that could still make that accurate I mean it's a uh, I would guess that if they had a meeting or if that was accurate the meeting was probably at the night in the motel room Uh, uh, drug dealing is often uh, 2.33 in the morning it's a uh, and this was a meeting of of drug dealers which uh, was uh, thought to be a forecast but All right, your time. We've got to let you go a little bit beyond. Let let me hear, let us hear from Mr. Sheldon. And before you get started, Mr. Sheldon, could I just confirm uh, what your understanding of the timing and sequence is? I
3: probably had a misunderstanding,
0: but as I understand what I'm hearing now from the government is that Officer Byrd stopped the vehicle at a few minutes after 12, at 1211 Officer Bird requested uh, a check through the uh, system of the warrant. At 1216, five minutes later, the dog alerted. At 1221, the officer learned that the warrant was non-extraditable. Is that correct? That
1: is partially correct, Your Honor. And I think I can answer both questions about the policy, the percentage of non-extraditable with this answer. At JA 117, Officer Bird testified that he got the warrant, and he testified, and this goes to the percentage. What percentage? I would say zero are extraditable because Officer Bird testified. you just answer my
0: timing question, and then You're we correct. can make judgments about
1: that. You're correct. Okay. Except that so Officer Bird, I want a
0: follow-up question then. Yeah. If I'm correct on that, and the Officer Bird <laughs> is making a stop based on a warrant, and at that time he doesn't know whether it's extraditable or not, then it seems to me Uh, The problem you are facing is that the dog alert before he learns the warrant is not reason to stop. He makes a stop probably justifiable on a warrant which he doesn't know whether it's extraditable or not. The dog alerts, and at that point, he has probable cause, doesn't he?
1: I disagree, Your Honor. J117. Let me ask Bird.
0: you, no, my question was, if the dog alerts, does he have probable cause? Yes. Okay.
1: That's right. Once, if the dog alerts his probable cause, we're, we, we're not arguing about okay. that. What we're arguing is that Bird testified that he had zero in his entire career extraditable warrants. He looks at the warrant. It's a, it's a failure to be here, out-of-state warrant, and he has testified, I have never had one that's extraditable. Zero. Well,
0: why'd he check?
1: We know why he checked. Yeah, the they, whole, the, Your Honor, the whole reason why the whole ruse was done. Why didn't, the big the, question the is... The police case.
0: officer Bird is told by the officers there's a warrant, outstanding warrant for this guy, and we want you to stop him. And it seems to me that all, that entitles the officer to stop him unless there's something defective about the warrant.
1: Judge Niemeyer, I think the one thing that's obvious about this case is the entire thing was a ruse. And the only question is, is the ruse affordable? So Officer Bird
0: knows it's a ruse? Yes, of course he
1: does. Why? De- he's, he's
0: because called.
1: Detective Biha has Howell in front of him with the bag and the car and the lady. And Detective Biha has all the resources in the world to arrest Howell right then. Why doesn't he? He knows everything. He's been looking at the warrant for two hours. Why doesn't he take him right then? Why would he risk letting him drive away? Because he knows in the officer's situation, well, in his position, a, he knows it's not enough. I'm
0: talking about Officer Bird. He was a police officer, wasn't he? Yes. Uniformed Leonard. police officer. That's right. All right. He's called and he says, pick him up. We have a warrant for his arrest.
1: And he knows why. He's informed. He knows why.
0: Where, where's that in the record?
1: Uh, he's the, the testimony from Biha is that I had four or five conversations with Byrd about how and that I wanted him to pull him out, to track him and pull him over. What did he
0: say, tell him, what he said that made the officer doubt that this was anything but legit. Your Honor,
1: if this wasn't a ruse,
0: then why didn't Detective Beard just arrest him? Look, I'm not asking for the logic, I'm asking for the evidence.
1: The evidence is that when Detective Beard found no traffic violations, he eventually pulled him over. He
0: didn't ask for it. He was called to say arrest him on a warrant. He didn't ask him to, he said stop him. Because we have probable cause, we have an outstanding warrant, and we have a, a...
1: And as soon as Detective, as soon as Officer Byrd saw the warrant, he knew, this is from the officer's perspective, we have to look at it. He knew that he had never had an extraditable warrant in this situation before. Zero. At that point, it is unreasonable under the Fourth Amendment to continue Wait, to detain.
2: I, I, I was just making sure. So I'm looking at page 117. Yeah. What I see him saying is, I've never seen a non-extraditable warrant. He actually says basically two things. He said, I've never seen a non extraditable warrant. I've actually never done a full extraditable warrant, but I've seen situations where I've stopped someone who showed a warrant and they'd already been served in the warrant. I mean, he actually, in back to back sentences, seems to say things that directly contradict each other.
1: And so the district court was not clearly erroneous when the district court said that he had no faith and he was skeptical of the officer's testimony. In note six.
2: Sorry, the district court, the district court said the district court had no faith and was skeptical or the officer had no faith.
1: The district court said he was skeptical of the testimony in the warrant, uh, regarding the warrant and put no faith in that. in note six.
2: May I ask, why does that matter under Wren?
1: Because the district court heard the evidence, made factual findings.
2: I mean, Wren says, I mean, whether that makes sense or not, Wren says very clearly that what's in this officer's heart does not matter not
1: not what's in his heart but the district court was skeptical of the testimony of police officers and found that it was a the whole um warrant issue was a ruse in note 6
0: that's just too. notes general. were findings that's just too general uh, if you focus at judge uh, uh officer Byrd, he's a police officer and he makes the traffic stops these detectives don't want to make traffic stops they don't want to take him down like they do uh, uh drug dealers they wanted the officer to stop to, to uh, uh, determine what's in the bag. And so he tells them, we have a warrant, stop him. And he uh, stopped him, and, uh, uh, I'm a little surprised at what Judge Hyten just pointed out to you, that the officer said, I've never seen a nun.
2: Although I think, in, in fairness, when I was, I kept reading, I realized the court clears that up next question later.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: He's never seen an extra
1: life that's right. And the, uh, that's right. And, and the district court made factual findings and didn't rely on the warrant because he was skeptical because they had all the ability in the world to confirm it and didn't. Of course, Detective Behad never found this warrant in any other database, right? He looked in other databases, only found it in one. It was a it it was a fairly irrelevant journal.
0: what's what's relevant is the stop and the dog search. The stop the question is whether the automobile stop was legitimate. If it was, we have a dog sniff that creates probable cause.
1: Well, if so you oh,
0: it seems to me that we ought to be focusing on Bird.
1: If you're focusing on Bird, he has never had an extraditable warrant. As soon as he sees it, he doesn't have reasonable. And the district court was not clearly erroneous in note six when the district court was skeptical of the whole mess of testimony about the warrant, which is why I think we didn't discuss it when I was arguing. Um, you know, the problem with the exclusionary rule is this: if I can just uh, do I have... No, you're over time, but go ahead. Kind of, of, you got the problem seconds. is this, right, that you only get the cases where they're arrested. If Howell had no drugs, he wouldn't be a drug dealer. This would be a coincidence, and that's the problem with the exclusionary rule. You know, it was so clear when B. Huss said, to be clear, the out-of-state target was not the defendant. He, he's not talking about confusion about names. The testimony and the argument of the government in the district court was there was no confusion, it's not Howell. Thank you so much for okay, letting thank you, you.
0: Uh we'll come down and uh greet counsel and then proceed on to the next case.